I'm Jeff Hakeem, founder of MCM Wealth. Welcome to our podcast today. We do these podcasts to advise families, business owners, and health professionals. Our approach is to build customized portfolios for each client while offering comprehensive financial planning services. Thank you for joining us today on this educational journey designed to protect your future. Hello and welcome to the MCM podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Today, we're going to be talking about something very interesting, something that we've been hearing about constantly. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence in investing. And we're going to be speaking to Kirk Lowry, portfolio strategist at MCM and managing member of Advisable Wealth Engines. Hi, Kirk. How are you? I'm doing great, Wendy. I'm happy to bring my intelligence, real live intelligence to this conversation. <laughs> yes. Um, we're getting a little afraid of all of this AI talk, and especially if you don't really know what it is or what it does, you know, it can be a little disarming at first. It is. And we'll talk about this. And, you know, honestly, I think there's some good reason for it. And that's one of the things that uh, is present in this discussion these last couple of months. But it is amazing. I'm so sorry. So tell me a little bit about it. Like, how can we use it in this scenario with wealth management? Well, let me first give a little perspective about this thing we're calling AI or artificial intelligence. And one of the things that I think is really important is that to understand where it's come from and sort of how we came to be in this place what seems now, as you rightly said, that it's so ever present in so much of what we're reading and uh, about and even uh, watching on television and all these other issues. But, you know, artificial intelligence has been this objective of computing for a long time. Now, I'm older, and I think you might have seen also 2001, The Space Odyssey. I haven't seen it, but I I, I know of it. Come on, I, I'm not science fiction person. <laughs> okay, you have to see it because it, it it really established the fears of AI. And just so you know, as they were off on the space mission, it was the spacecraft is being run by a computer called HAL. And HAL was essentially artificial intelligence. And HAL was remarkably able to understand humans. In fact, you know, he became what's called sentient. He became the ability to think and feel. That's scary. Scary. What ended up happening, of course, is he destroyed the mission and, you know, effectively, I won't uh, tell you all the things about it. So you can, Oh, I don't care, Kirk. It's okay. You can ruin it. (laughs) Yeah. But, but how was really prescient in what it saw of the, risks and issues with what we're talking about today with artificial intelligence. Essentially a, a, a computer that creates its own objectives and ultimately nefarious objectives in its own desire to uh, control and have power. And I'm trying to remember, I should have looked this up before we started, but I think that was in the 60s, something like that. So anyway, 
the point of this is it's been around for a long time and it, it's in what we call artificial intelligence reflects in this broader care category, which I would call learning algorithms. And these, it's basically rules and computer code that looks at certain things, generally uh, you know, historical data, data of different types, and it analyzes that. And based upon its analysis, it learns. And these learning algorithms are everywhere in our life. We just may not think of them in that, but they're, you know, in factories and our computers, of course, when we do uh, checking of our grammar when writing emails. I mean, all these things are there. Obviously, what's happening in cars and and um, self-driving cars, these are all in this category of learning algorithms. So what's so special now about what we're reading? Well, what's happening now as we're talking about AI is the same kind of category of a learning algorithm, but it's based on what's called a large language model. And what these algorithms have done is they have been set up to basically read the internet, the trillions and trillions of pages that are on the internet, because computers can do things very fast, and they start off really not knowing language. They learn then characters, the alphabet, let's say, and then they learn how the alphabet is organized into words. And then they learn how words start associating with one another. And they learn how these association of words form sentences. And it's basically how language progresses to the point now that these tools that we have, for example, Chat, GPT, and BARD, they have developed the ability to look at this vast amount of language and begin to put concepts together. Sentences become paragraphs, paragraphs become pages, and so forth. And as they learn, they become better at what they're writing, so to speak. And that's now in this development where we are, where what's being written makes a lot of sense. It's generally coherent. It's often written very well. And we can now begin to see how these things take this massive amounts of of uh, information that, you know, beyond anything the world ever could have conceived of even 20 or 30 years ago, bringing it into a present position with that. So uh, that's basically what it is technically, but there's a lot of implications from that. I remember when I got my very first iPhone and, you know, this is kind of it, AI, I guess, on a very small scale, maybe the very beginnings of it be being put into practical use. I was talking to somebody who had had an iPhone for a while and she had told me, you know, when you're writing text messages and stuff, it will learn the words that you use on a consistent basis. And if you just start with it, like say I use the word T for my dog, Tucker, you just write a T and all of a sudden Tucker will pop up and you can just click that word in the middle. And that's so true. You're teaching it as you're sending text messages what the language is that you use more and more often. Exactly. The iPhone or any smartphone, of course, has AI all through it. And of course, uh, Google Maps, all these things. It's everywhere. And that's what I want to first encourage people to realize and, and to take some of the edge off is that we have become much more effective in how we live our lives because of artificial intelligence. 
And it's really in these categories that are in these large language models and other things related to uh, images and, and audio and things where we get a little bit into a dicier world that does need to be discussed and constrained. <laughs> so if it's been around for a while, why is it so visible now? And why is it kind of this onslaught? Well, it's interesting. And I should also say to you that I'm interested in AI and I read about AI, but I'm not an expert in it. You know, I don't write these algorithms. I'm not a computer scientist. Uh, it, it's it's just a, a great curiosity to me. So I don't want to oversell myself in any way that I am something that, you know, someone that has sort of leading edge thinking compared to a lot of these people who spend their careers, you know, in this area. But there are a couple of things that I find that are interesting. And that is that the concept of artificial intelligence really came out in the 50s. And the one of the fathers of it, so to speak, is a Cornell University psychologist called uh, Frank Rosenblatt, and he created the concept of an artificial intelligence that could perceive things. And then there were others like this guy, Arthur Samuel at IBM, who, who developed a, a program to play checkers back in the, in the 60s and so forth. And I think the, the major player for what we're talking about today was a guy by the name of Jeffrey Hinton, who it's a Canadian and ended up working at Google and recently left Google um, with quite a provocative reason. And that was he wanted to be unconstrained by working at Google to tell people about the risks of artificial intelligence. And he's the one that really developed the, the mechanisms of these large language models. And so it's been around, but it's coming together. And the reason it's coming together is you have a lot of smart people writing these algorithms but you have massively powerful computers. And we have the internet that connects unbelievably large amounts of information around the world into one single accessible point. So all these things have converged, let's say in 2023, so that we can have a very intelligent conversation and rightly have excitement and fears about it. So Mr. Hinton, had a hand in developing it and now he's left google so he can warn people about it is that is that what you're telling me exactly exactly <laughs> that seems a little odd well it's you know we can thank him for his honesty about it certainly he could go out and use his his smarts and his experience to do lots of things and forming other companies um, but there are other people at you know, Stanford and MIT that are seeing these things. And one of the most provocative things I have read recently is that these scientists that have created these algorithms and have seen how the algorithms learn don't know how they actually come to putting the words on the screen and coming together with the thoughts because they are these intelligent artificial intelligence systems are actually thinking now they know all the inputs they know the mechanisms of how they're thinking but the how they got from learning about the alphabet to forming intelligent paragraphs and pages about a concept that's open-ended they don't really understand and i think that's part of what is a little disarming about this 
because the line between good uses and evil uses may is become very thin and this is one of the things i believe that these these um pillars of thought that are out there like uh, jeffrey hinton are serving our society at large for this purpose yeah disturbing so when people are talking about ai hallucinations what does that mean well it's really quite funny we have a very interesting real world example of this so these ai systems can can now learn they've learned language and they can pull all this different writing that's been out there and in the in the in the wild west of the internet there's obviously truth and lies and these systems can't distinguish between truth and lies and as they make associations with words and concepts they aren't able to judge the truth of them and so this is what's called hallucinations so a recent example is this and i actually feel a little bit bad about bringing more light to this but there was an attorney in new york who was hired by a client because he had a bad experience on an airplane so he you know this his client filed a uh, a complaint against an airline and i'll say it this way the attorney was busy so he and he was busy and curious about ai so he said well let me see what chat gpt would do if i asked it to write the brief so sure enough he did that and it came back with a very well written well documented brief it had case references and everything else about it did he read it well this is his story he read it <laughs> and he saw these case references and he asked chat gpt are these case references true and chat gpt responded very confidently yes okay so then he submits it files it with the court and opposing counsel is looking at this and can't find any of these case references so they raise this issue with the court saying we don't see any of these references and you know what's in law law is so incredibly well documented so anyways it comes to pass all these case references including docket numbers and everything else about them were all fake oh no so you know this attorney quite to his embarrassment has now been in front of the court having to explain himself and he works for a pretty large law firm having to explain how this happened and you know i don't want to beat him up because it was kind of an innocent thing but it's a real illustration of what these hallucinations can do so you have to read things you can't just accept it as we sit here today well and that's what i was going to say i mean he should have checked the cases himself not just asked <laughs> the computer right exactly. Exactly. And he's learned his lesson, my goodness. And every attorney who thought this would, would work has learned their lesson. That does not mean by any means that that uh, AI won't be a great assistance to the legal profession. But, you know, you got to start and be very mindful of what can go wrong. And here mm -hmm. we have a very good example of that. <laughs> Is there a way that we can reduce or remove the negative inputs that cause these hallucinations? Well, there are, and, and I'm really encouraged by how the leaders in AI have come forward, not just with Jeffrey Hinton, but 
you know, the leaders of these companies like OpenAI and Microsoft and Google have come out and they've testified here in recent weeks in front of Congress about what needs to be done. And they've been very straightforward to say that there needs to be regulation. This cannot just be left to private enterprise. And so they, they're not there simply to make billions of dollars, which no doubt they all will with this, but they recognize that there's a, a, a social contract that technology must have with societies, of course, people, uh, to allow it to, to do good and not, not evil. And they've been very open and honest about this. Now, the European Union has recently promulgated some, some draft laws about that. And, and that's really what's necessary. So here we are with some of the things, the evil side of it, where in recent times, uh, you may have read about what are called deep fakes, images, photographs, deep, fake, deep fakes in audio, deep fakes in video, and horrible things that have been done on the nefarious side because it's now in a position to do so. And I'm not even talking about, you know, the matters of using artificial intelligence like in China to monitor its, you know, billion plus people, which they're doing extensively. Um, but that those issues are really very much present with us. And I think the scariest part about what we're talking about. So there are things that can be done to protect this. You know, as an example, uh, be very careful about putting your voice out in the public domain on the internet because it can be utilized and then create essentially your voice to say anything that, you know, these evil characters are, are using it for. Another recent example of a, a mother who, who uh, had a, uh, was called by an, um, a supposed kidnapper and uh, the kidnapper had an audio recording of her daughter that was, of course, a deep fake. And she quickly realized how it happened. Um, but that's happening. That's going on, you know, and uh, we need to be very careful about that. So there are certain things, and this is not just related to AI. I mean, people need to be careful about putting their images out on the Internet and and video and some of these. Oh, I think that's long gone. It, the, everybody's doing it. It's out there. It's a done deal. And, you know, you, you just need to be smarter about it because these things are there and there's it's so easy to access. So anyway, I don't want to get too far into that world, but it, it is part of what we're living in right now. Well, and, you know, you're talking about the nefarious side and I've heard those stories as well where they, you know, dupe somebody's voice and they call and and, you know, one of the suggestions that I had heard, which I thought was a great idea, is to have a code word in your family. And in a situation like that, you get a phone call from a kidnapper, say, OK, well, what's the code word? Ask them or, you know, they don't know it, then that'll help you figure that out. But a, a good side of this would be Paul McCartney announcing that he is going to do another song with John Lennon. Yes. <laughs> right? That's right. No, you're, you're absolutely there. And, you know, I, I'm happy that these things are getting out there because we need to be warned. And that's part of what we're talking about with these, these luminaries in the business warning us and bringing the right level of visibility about those warnings. So, we should be encouraged and enthusiastic about AA, but not, but also going in with our eyes wide open. When this was being developed, I'm wondering, did they know that this was a, 
a potential and and proceed it with it anyways, thinking the good would outweigh the bad? Or did it kind of just get out of control? Well, Stanley Kubrick, the producer of 2001, saw it, you know, with Hal. Right. And so, yeah, I, th I think it's always been there, that threat of it. But it was so conceptual until recent times when, again, the alignment of computer power, algorithms, and massive data came together. What can be done to protect against the negative aspects of AI in our daily lives? Well, part of it we just talked about, but also it's recognizing that, you know, you, we still need to be productive people. So for all those high school students that are looking at uh, ChatGPT to write their term paper or college students, obviously those things, you know, that's going to happen. And of course, there's a lot of tools that are being developed to identify that, those, you know, those issues like that. But will people be more capable in their writing because of it? Absolutely. And we should be happy about that. They still need to be take the responsibility to have their own brains think of it with that. But there are a lot of tools right now that are being written to identify deep fakes. Kind of what you were talking about, Winnie, to create those markers on images and video and audio that can identify whether it's true or not. That has to be done. That's probably, for me, the most important thing that must be done very quickly. And of course, that's where the government regulations are necessary for that. But also, there's a lot of companies that are developing this to help you know, put this together. Once we solve that problem, then we can start thinking about AI to help us in our lives and in our jobs in these large language models that we have right now. What are some of the benefits? Well, I think we could talk about the legal profession since I brought up a bad case of it. Uh, there's a you know uh, lawyers write a lot, <laughs> and uh, they get paid handsomely for it. But there's a lot of writing that is just, I suppose we can say, awful to do. We have the same thing in the investment business. There's a lot of writing that's just very mundane and. And, and not creative. Of course, AI is going to be excellent in all of that, pulling together things. And, you know, the great thing about computers, they don't get tired, you know, bored. they don't get tired or bored. They're going to look at, at problems uniquely, even if it's the same problem they were given yesterday. And humans don't do that. We often look for the path of least resistance and that can create a big problem for us. So all of these knowledge businesses where there's just, repetition, AI will be a huge assistance for that. There's a lot of jobs that require expertise to do them well, and AI can help that. You think of even jobs in the factory floor, or even teachers that can help them work with the basics of it. So they can spend their time helping their students that are really excelling and helping their students that are falling behind because AI can assist them in getting the the basics uh, taken care of all of those areas and thousands of things more will be very useful for all of us. What role will AI play in investing? Well, similar to what I talked about, there's a lot of investment analysis that's done. So I can see AI doing financial statement analysis in a more complete, objective way than it's done right now by uh, stock analysts that are using computers. 
writing reports that are much more coherent, structured, writing reports that are compliant with regulations and things like that, that's going to be very helpful so that the people that are tasked with making investment decisions can focus on the things that brain power, human brain power can do well. Being able to spend more time, for example, interviewing executives at companies, if you think of a stock analyst role, than writing the report themselves. Because it's those interviews that the human is is vastly superior, and I think will always be vastly superior than the computer doing it. So those are those are things that are done. Being able to look at um, client investors and begin to categorize them and understand who they are and what they represent um, as groupings, and and being able to pull that data to, out of out of systems into ways that it can be utilized will be very useful. Uh, treating a, a you know a fairly straightforward advice situation productively so you can spend time again on these more difficult questions a client brings, whether it's you know situations with special needs children or elderly parents or all these things, because the the gut work of advice is being handled by AI. So you can spend your time on really those important areas. Do you have examples of the benefits of AI in evaluating an investment? Well, it's somewhat what I mentioned. It's looking at financial statement analysis. It's looking at histories. It's relating companies one to one to another and, and so forth so that the analyst is able to see what the facts on the ground are so that the association of that investment in a portfolio can be done in a creative way. And, and again, it's identifying not so much the mainstream things that AI can handle very well, but it's on those, those, uh, in the endpoints of that, you know, complex situations and being, you know, applying it or helping, you know, people understand what they have in their portfolio, uh, more so than deciding what to put into it. All of those areas, because advisors really are teachers. They're educators in every definition of that word. And as I always say, we talked to, about this one of our podcasts, the, the, the better client is an educated client. And the advisor is the best voice of that, but assisted by some of the things that these large language models can do. You don't think AI is going to take over being the supplier of investment advice? In certain situations, yes. Very simple situations, maybe with younger people. You know how to how to have good financial behaviors with things like checking accounts and credit cards and and you know being that that smart person on your shoulder. Um, absolutely, those things can be done and are being done today. If you see that with credit card companies and the like, just being smarter with our money. But I, I liken where we are, and I, you know, similar to maybe to think about this when when cars first appeared on the roads. And they were appearing on the roads along with horses. There weren't traffic laws. There weren't uh, anything like that. And they were crazy, right? People were dying right and left. People didn't realize what was happening because there were no laws. And so we're at this place now with it where we're being smart and thinking before things get out of hand, before people are, so to speak, dying on the road. You know, we're getting out ahead of it and putting the laws and practices in place so we know where AI can work with us well, and we know where it needs to be constrained. Constrained legally, constrained programmatically, 
uh, and, and constrained culturally so that we can focus on this. And I think we're much further ahead of the game, so to speak, to put the, the, the rules of the road in place with that. But we will be better off with proper rules of the road than we are today. And you know, I'll say this. One of the things that's very interesting to me is this demographic problem we face in the world where we're not having enough babies to, to, uh, to replenish our population and our population is getting older. And so in a lot of countries in Europe and in Russia for you know, different reasons, but clearly uh, in those places, uh, even in China and the United States, there's a lot of jobs that aren't getting filled. And we don't have the same volume of, of uh, new workers coming into it to, to do those jobs. So we can solve a lot of these problems that exist by a lot of them very mundane knowledge jobs by using AI intelligently. Now that we're at the start of it, we can do so. So it will benefit and, and not create some of those anxieties that exist right now. I don't know about any of this, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fascinating and scary and all of that. It is. And that's why we have podcasts to help people start to think about it. Because we all need to be aware of it. And the more we are aware of it, until these the rules of the road get put in place, we can... We can uh, protect ourselves, but we also can start anticipating how we want to use AI to maybe in our own lives uh, make some of the things that we just don't like to do, have that done in a way that will be done well, so we can think of things that our brains can be more productive and creative about. So have like a Rosie from the Jetsons, somebody to do the dishes and... Yes. You know, it's funny you bring that up. Um few years ago, I remember reading an article about, you know, we had Soylent Green, which was a movie, probably the 60s again. We had 1984 by George Orwell. We had the Jetsons. And, and they, you know, they, they went and analyzed, and, you know, which, which of those prophets, so to speak, had it most right. And you know who it was? It was the Jetsons. <laughs> they said that was based on the year 2022, I believe. Yeah, you know, there's no flying cars and we're not eating capsules for dinner. Thank goodness. Well, you know, there are things you can get these, you know, power shakes that you just drink. It may not be a capsule, but you can drink it as every nutrient you need for the day. But, you know, smart watches and all these things and and, uh, you know, there are cars that are can fly and all this stuff. Yeah, it's you know, it, the Jetsons <laughs> was riding the Jetsons had it a lot more accurate than any of these other uh, profits, so to speak. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I think they were just trying to have the opposite of the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, well, this has been so um, eye-opening. You know, I hope that maybe we can get together again and talk about more of the AI, artificial intelligence. Well, we are going to have a session, Wendy, coming up with um, with uh, Ayman Abuland, who is a partner of ours, to talk about te technology and investing. You know, so I've sort of given the broad brushes of it, the concepts of it, how it works, where it came from, what to be fearful of, what to be excited about. And then, you know, Iman will be talking about, you know, the practical rallies of where we are today, kind of the questions you were asking me, but also, you know, where it can go. And I think in a fairly short period of time to make investing 
more productive, more enabled than it even is today. Well, I thank thank you for all the information that you uh, put forth today. And um, we didn't scare me too much, but a little bit. There you go. Well, hopefully you're just informed. Let's call it that. All right. And thank thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. This is Jeff Hakeem again. Thank you for listening to this episode of our MCM Wealth Podcast. Please click the follow button to be notified of new episodes as they become available. Also, please visit our website at www.mcmwealth.com or call me on my direct line at 415-299-6574 so you and I can have an initial discussion. We look forward to learning about you.